Peace, peace, peace. I am Dr. Philip Roundtree, and you are tuned into the August 14th edition of Rhetorically Speaking. Props to those of you who are watching on Facebook Live, hopefully, because the way I set this stream up, <laughs> I can't necessarily guarantee if it is on, on Facebook. If it is, definitely shout me a holla. I appreciate you for being on there. If not, then I guess you could disregard this. Same thing with YouTube. <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm doing this by chance. So when I set up this stream, I can't necessarily test to see if it's if it's working. Um, so it is what it is. But if you are on YouTube, you can now go to this. You see where I'm pointing right there should be a little a little button that you can hover over and you can subscribe. I know you used to me pointing in every direction, but I set it up so it can be right there. You hover over it and subscribe. You'll be greatly appreciated. It'll be greatly appreciated. And last but certainly not least. Props to those of you who are watching on Instagram Live who are too hard-headed to get out of your comfort zone and head over to YouTube to support a black man in the month of, of, of Black August where we honor our, our revolutionaries. I'm like on the, on, the, on the scale of super revolutionary to regular Negro who try to do some good things in this world on behalf of the people. I'm probably on the regular Negro that's trying to do some good things on behalf of the people. But listen, it's Black August, so that means you can head over and hit the subscribe button. It is also the 50th anniversary of hip hop. That's another reason to go hit the subscribe button. I may or may not have more content coming with just talking about what it means for, for black folk in particular. So yeah, the guilt trip is heavy today. The guilt trip is heavy. Listen, I'm about, I got 674 followers. I never cared about the follower count. I never cared about the views. I always enjoyed just having conversation and whoever, whoever show up, show up. What, what does it say in, the, in that spiritual book? Y'all, many of y'all believe in, and it's no shade. It's no shade at all. When, when two or more are gathered in, in his name then he is in the midst of something like that. So as long as I got one other person, as long as I got one other person that's here, I'm good. Right. And listen, I can sometimes split myself into two. <laughs> so where I can be that other person that I need, because you got to be your own support system. You got to love yourself. Right. But yes, the guilt trip is heavy. All right, so it looks like we're rocking out on on YouTube. Shout out to Leslie. Shout out to Rich, Doctor Rich Howley. Congratulations to to you, good brother. I don't know what you got your PhD in. I was at your dissertation defense, and I was like, "What the hell is going on?" <laughs> Had no idea. But uh, you're definitely proud of you, and you're a good person to to know for sure. So we're gonna get into this conversation on hip hop at fifty. Now, I know I was initially promoting it to where we were going to have this conversation of hip hop at 50 and then have a conversation about cardiac arrest in black athletes, young black athletes specifically. But I, I want to have time. I want to have energy to to fully explicate that that conversation to to go, offer it the depths, the, the depth that is required to have such a serious conversation you know we had an ancestor who 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 is now an ancestor that passed away he was the number three ranked player in his state his name escapes me right now but i, I do want to have that conversation because so many of our of our young folk 
are passing away, are dying as a result of, in essence, heart attacks while exercising, while working out. Here in Philadelphia, we have the, the Danny Bronf basketball classic. I believe they're in their, their 12th, 12th, 13th year in having it to honor Danny Rumpf, who died at Mallory Recreational Center. He was a basketball player at Western Kentucky University. He went into cardiac arrest and, and passed away. So my childhood homie, Mike Morak, um, so many other brothers are doing amazing things to to honor his his legacy, which honoring his legacy is not only having a, a, a basketball tournament where you get NBA players, you get overseas players, you get to folk from the community to come out and, and have a good time. But they also offer so many services within the community regarding enhancing awareness around cardiac arrest. So. With that being said, salute to again, salute to those brothers who are who are doing that work. But we'll have that conversation at a later time. But I want to get into hip hop turning 50. I want to get into <laughs> I want to I just want to jump right into my critique of Jay-Z. But I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that because you know how I feel about that brother. And I have such conflicting thoughts, feelings and emotions when it comes to him. But I'm going I'm to put that to the side for like the next 10, 15 minutes while we just talk about the, the origins of hip hop and what should be uh, a celebration of of blackness, uh, a celebration of resistance a celebration of resilience. So this past Friday, August 11th, hip hop turned 50, which all started when DJ Cool Herc never knew his real name, but turns out it was it was Clive Campbell as I did my research for this. He and his sister held a, a 25 cent back to school party in the basement of his apartment building, which was located at 1520 Sedgwick Street in the Bronx. I know a couple of Bronx folk. I, I think the homie. No, I don't think the homie just in front of from Uncle Bobby's is from the Bronx. He might be from Queens. I don't know. It's all the same. I, I try to stay out of New York because it's just not necessarily a place that I want to <laughs> that, that I want to be because it's so fast paced and so forth and so forth. But they had this 25 cent basement party in his apartment building back in 1973. His sister, Cindy Campbell, she plays such an integral role in creating hip hop. Like a lot of times we the culture attributes it to, to Cool Herc. And we even know did it necessarily start with Cool Herc. No, but this is a seminal moment where hip hop is we look at hip hop and its origin story as saying, hey, this is it. This was so pivotal in the story, even though I'm sure it was other brothers, just like it is in so many other so many other origin stories of different things. It was somebody else who was doing the exact same thing, but they didn't necessarily get the notoriety. They didn't get the, the publicity that we we give the cool Herc. But nonetheless, he and his sister in this party, I've never been to a basement party. Uh, I guess inflation changed the the 25 cent party, the dollar parties, which it was in the in the 90s when I was growing up. I now I don't, I don't think people have basements anymore. I don't think you can afford a basement given the cost of living, <laughs> given the cost of living in society today. But to think that you were going to. Most folk during that time didn't know they were going to go be a part of history. I doubt Cool Herc and, and Cindy 
thought that they were going that they were creating history in that moment. But that's usually how it happens. This is usually how it happens where they get folk to come and to have an amazing time just to, to celebrate, to celebrate black, black joy. That's what hip hop is when I think about it. Before I get into the bastardization of it, when I think about hip hop, I think about black joy. I think about celebration of, of one another. I also think about this is a space. This is a, a forum. This is a mechanism to to talk about societal ills. To talk about the, the impact of white supremacy, capitalism, patriot, patriarchy, imperialism on black folk, black boys and black men specifically, even though, again, we know our sisters have done so much work to help create this this art form that is not only hip hop music, but hip hop culture. So this week and on Friday, they had an event at Yankee Stadium where they brought out all the big wigs. This was the, the biggest celebration around the world, dare I say. You had Run DMC, you had Nas, you had Snoop, you had Sugar Hill Gang. So we the hip, the hop, the hip, the hip, the hip, the hip, hip, hip hop, you don't stop it. Rockets at the bang, bang. That's that's all I know. That's all you're going to get from me. You had Lauryn Hill. So, you know, if you can get Lauryn Hill. To be on time? Because you can't, if you Lauren Hill, you can't be late to the celebration. I heard she's been on time lately, though. But you can't, you definitely can't be late to the celebration of, of hip hop. It's 50th anniversary. It's no way. So they brought, they got Lauren Hill out there. They got Lil' Kim. They got Eve. And the list goes on and on. You had Snoop. You had Ice Cube. You had Lil Wayne. And that's important. Because they represent certain regions of the country where hip hop also thrive. But when we talk about what was missing, we'll get to that in in a little bit. You also had KRS-One and Big Daddy Kane and a host of other old school MCs who at 1520 Cedric Street in the Bronx were cool, cool Herc and Cindy had the first party. And it's important to say, because I, I wanted to talk about that flyer that we see circulating the internet. That is not the original flyer. Somebody might have the original flyer, but that is not the original flyer. That is a, a makeup to, to pay homage to what they believe it would potentially look like back in the day. So at 1520 Cedric Street, the the origins, the birthplace of it. I, I know the ancestors is out there heavy. I know it was a vibe. I know it was just an opportunity to just look back, especially for the for the elders. The elders who don't necessarily get their flowers when we're having a conversation about who's the who's the greatest MC, Biggie, Jay Z, or Nas. I'm not sure what the Melly Mel and Eminem beef is about. But for Eminem I'm like, fam, you a guest. Take your shoes off when you come in the crib. <laughs> you, you, you can't be dismissing it when, no matter what it was about. A founding father of, of, of hip hop. Who some argue is a top uh, top lyricist. But that's another conversation for another day when we <laughs> when we talk about other cultures infiltrating 
and being impacted. I don't want to say infiltrating, being impacted by black culture. We know black culture sets the sets the tone in so many in so many different areas. It's so impactful. It's the highest grossing um the the highest grossing music genre and it's been that for a long period of time but the best we can get is a is a hip-hop awards on bet oh yeah it says a lot not about us but it says a lot about (laughs) capitalism it says a lot about the the colonizers when it comes to this this art form when it comes to this culture that so many of us love. So in this, in this 50 year, and I've, I've been trying to, to sit and think about when I fell in love with hip hop. And feel free to drop in the chat when you fell in love with hip hop. And I kept going back to when I bought with my own money. Again, it's probably my mama money, but I'm gonna say it was my own money. <laughs> when I bought Black Star's self-titled album black star if you're not familiar black star is most deaf and talib kwali this is 1997 i'm 13 14 year old high school freshman at the germantown lincoln all motivation high school i go to sounds of germantown right off of germantown and shelton avenue i walk in I'm, I'm, i'm looking through the cds Got my CD player with me, brand new. I'm like, what can I buy? And whoop, I got Blackstar. Now, I don't even know how I ended up knowing about Blackstar. But I know when I got that album and I and I put that, that first track on. And I, and I hear the skits. Then that bass drop, that beat drop. Then I start listening to the to the lyricism. I start listening to the 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 subject matter, the content. Brown skin lady. I don't get many compliments, but I am confident. Used to have a complex about getting too complex. You got me willing to try. Look me in the eye. I still play that. We talking about some 25 years later. Then I fast forward. Respiration. Blasting holes in the night till she blasts sunshine. Breathe in. Then Talib verse comes on. And that's what I'm sure I've had some arguments about who got the best verse on there. Most deaf common or Talib. I always go to I live in the city press sitting on these steps. We stooped the new lows, hell froze the night the city slept. Then we go forward to thieves in the night. Then we go forward to twice in a lifetime. Again, the content, what they call the backpacker music, the consciousness of it. And now in in a line that I that now is probably problematic. In twice in a lifetime with Jane Doe, Mose, Talib. What Talib say? He says stopping us is preposterous like an androgynous misogynist. 
and I'm going around trying to tell the homies how live that line is, and I'm trying to dissect it and break it down, not recognizing that this was my foray into the deep critical analysis and work that y'all have come to learn and, and to love and know me for. Me analyzing these lyrics, the complexities, the metaphors, the similes. Like those skills are honed when we're sitting in and reading lyrics, going on original hip hop lyrics archive way before there was a genius. So for me, that's when I fell in love with hip hop. But those who know me will also say, well, Phil, you talk about the lyrical prowess of Black Star, but wasn't you a No Limit fan? As I adjust my gazelle glasses, and I didn't know they were called gazelles, or I thought they were gazelles up until about 17 minutes ago, and I had these glasses now for a few years. <laughs> I, I try to be hip-hopped out. I got, my, I got my stone on like I'm one of them enlightened brothers you know, Clarence the 13X. <laughs> I got, but I'm, I'm also rocking the, I think there's like a 3X white tee that I got on. So I can yip in my white tee. So I'm trying to give you multiple generations of hip hop music. But people like Phil, weren't you a No Limit fan? I'm like, yes, yes, I was a No Limit Records fan. It was something about the, the authenticity. It was something about the story that rags to riches. The unapologetic. It was my first introduction to the South. Like, I, I, I'm not, I won't even say I'm a huge outcast fan. I know my brother, God bless the dead was. So I would hear outcast from time to time. But my introduction to the South was no limit records and make them say uh and and it ain't my fault Mia X Soldier Slim C Murder Cain and Abel Mr. Servon <laughs> like the like the list goes on and on Skull Duggery Mercedes because no limit records had the had the ability to capture the visual I never saw a record with with the graphics that they had. Especially as a, a, a coming of age young man. In the picture of Mercedes. That was new for me. That was like scrambled channel 46. That was like Red Shoe Diaries. That was like Cinemax after 10. It's like, whoa, this was what's happening. Here. Now I didn't buy the album. Because I, I doubt she could rap a single or whatever it was. But yes, I was definitely a No Limit fan. But this just goes to the, the, the diversity that existed within the music. Especially during this time. You had your backpack. You had, I remember getting on the cheese bus to go to high school. You had people playing Jay-Z. Volume 1. That came out, I think, around 97. You had No Limit Records. You had your Tribe Called Quest. 
you had your, your Biggie's Life After Deaths. You had your Foxy Browns. Your Eves. Your, it was just it was just a I think it was probably the best time to be a hip hop fan because you could have your needs met no matter what it is. Now, here we are. Anybody can rap, which is a, a beautiful thing. You can upload your content straight to YouTube. You don't need a record label. Podcast I was listening to last week talked about how back in the 90s, it was like factions. It was like stables, if, you, if you're familiar with wrestling terminology. So it's like, are you down with Rockefeller? Are you down with No Limit? Are you down with Rough Riders? Are you with Ruckus? I bought the Sound Bombers. That was my introduction to, to Sadat X, to Eminem for real, for real. So that's when, or that time period, that 1997 time period is when I fell, first fell in love with hip hop. And so I haven't had the opportunity to watch this, this celebration take place at Yankee Stadium. I see it's on YouTube. I thought I saw it was about eight hours long. Sold out arena. Everybody doing their thing. But when I when I sat and thought about it, it's just like, yo, it's a beautiful thing. But something is missing. Something is missing. Again, Nas was there. And then it was just like, oh, I know what's missing. Y'all homie, Jigga Man. But before I get into Jigga Man, I want to first just highlight what also I thought was missing before I get on this rant about Jay-Z that I've been waiting all day to do. What was missing in this, this 50-year celebration, and I'm sure it's to come, or I may have missed it. Like, it's not above me to, to say that, I've, that I might have missed it. But like a celebration of the, the hip-hop fashion. The Inichi, Carl Kanai, Fubu, Fat Farm, Baby Fat. Like that helped push hip hop into the mainstream even more. Again, how I'm dressed right now, it might be, I might be washed with a 3X white tee and some 4X basketball shorts and a chain on and these gazelles, <laughs> right? But hip hop fashion Hip-hop has always dictated fashion. Always. Hence the reason why you got a Dapper Dan that exists. And why they work so hard to shut him down. Also missing was just the praise for, for influencers in, in radio and print. I think about Sway. I think about Big Boy. I think about Angie Martinez, and I'm sure they've gotten their flowers, but it's maybe at a 50th year celebration. That should have been on 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 the stage. But again, I haven't seen it. So somebody let me know if I missed it. But I feel like we should be highlighting these individuals. The Elliot Wilsons. What's the boy name that got the daughter, the, the Coy LeRae, Benzino. In that magazine, the source, like how can we not highlight the source at a time like this? 
A lot of people bought their albums by seeing how many mics it was given. I know I sure did. That's how folk were discovered. I know I got the Biggie book in the back somewhere. But Biggie was in the source. And you should check out It Was All a Dream by Justin Tinsley. It's a dope book. Super dope book. You learn so much about Biggie and his relationship with Tupac and just his, his life in general from it. Definitely check it out. Also missing was was acknowledgement and praise for hip hop scholarship. The research done by academicians. Hell, I'm sitting here writing a book on hip hop and trauma. To help what? To help understand the landscape that formed hip hop. The socio-political context of which it emerged. Scholars are out here doing it. Doing it. Michael Eric Dyson, Mark Anthony Neal, so many other people who have taken it from, from the streets and taken it into the academy. It was a whole brother, a whole brother. Of course he's a whole brother. It was a brother who did a, his whole dissertation as a mixtape. <laughs> like as a, as a mixtape. So I, I think that was missing, just the, the acknowledgement of that. And I saw that in a post and it had me thinking, hence the reason why I, I wanted to, to bring it up. But now on to this man named Jay-Z. And I'm not going to spend too much, too much time here. I'm about to say too much money here. Because <laughs> we know with, with the homie, with the big homie, with Capitalistic Hove, it's all about the bread. My biggest critique of Sean, Jay-Z, Jigaman, Hove, or as I affectionately like to call him, Capitalistic Hove, Carter was how could you not be present especially at Yankee Stadium you the brother that made the Yankee hat more famous than the Yankees wasn't that a bar of yours black culture which you're a part of helped propel you from this this faux scarface individual that you talked about that you were in the streets of Brooklyn to now being a billionaire where you could talk about being with Warren Buffett where you could talk about being with Elon Musk and all of these other rich white folk how could you not be there to pay homage to the craft to the culture that built you up a perfect way to, to, to build goodwill within a community. Bring Jazzo out. The person that gave you your opportunity, the elder that showed you the way. The Memphis Bleaks, the state props. It was an opportunity that far too often he misses out on for whatever reason. Now, I'm not going to make it seem like I know why he didn't show up, like he just poo-pooed it. But we recognize that he's strategic. 
if that's what we want to call it. But like the good brother Bill Rowan said when talking about Michael Jordan and his ownership time with the Charlotte Hornets and then selling it to white folk. It's some treasonous behavior that's going on, man. And I don't think anybody is having that conversation to where we hold him accountable. And it's not holding this mythical figure accountable. It's, it's, it's not this idea that, that he's, some, he's, some, he's some noble figure who can't be critiqued. I saw I posted on social media the following in hip hop lore Nas will forever be the people's champ solidified by Jay-Z's absence from 50th anniversary festivities. The former consistently shows the culture he's one of while the latter moves as if he's above a duo whose legacies were entwined like Malcolm and Martin, where no matter the path followed, liberation was the goal now looks more like Malcolm Martin and Clarence Thomas. Capitalistic Hove reminds us that the second coming isn't community, but more rugged individualism at the expense of community. And I wrote that as I sat and thought about what the biggest name in hip hop not being present to honor the forefathers that paved the way who didn't get the money, who didn't get the opportunity, who's still living in, a, in the same crib that they was able to get back in the 80s, who's not flourishing monetarily as he is. It was an opportunity for him to say thank you on a large, on a large scale, just to say thank you to the ancestors who inspired Cool Herc and Cindy to have that party in the basement. The individuals of blues, the individuals of jazz, in other black art forms like country, who helped create the environment, who, pay, who passed down this art form of storytelling to the next generation. It was just a, a, an opportunity to pay homage. But unfortunately, it was missed. See, when I, when I think about Jay and people are like, well, he, he just did the, the Brooklyn Museum thing. Well, if you're not familiar with the Brooklyn Museum thing, because that's what somebody said, yeah, he did the Brooklyn Museum thing. If you're not familiar, that was a quid pro quo. Now, if you watch enough Law and Order or you might be a law school, might be a lawyer, you understand this is I do for you. I scratch your back. You scratch my back. I do for you. You do for me. Rock Nation was looking for a way to 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 celebrate Jay-Z. So the CEO was trying was racking her brain to try to figure out a way. Subsequently. They reached out or, or the Brooklyn Museum reached out because they wanted to have a they needed money, which they acknowledge. They reached out to him to maybe have an award ceremony, maybe have a gala. And they countered with, you know what, let's do an exhibit. 
Which again, I'm not against an exhibit. But the fact is, it, it wasn't this 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 act of, hey, let me give back to Brooklyn. Because we saw what giving back to Brooklyn looked like for Jay. For Capitalistic Hove. It looked like the Barclays Center fiasco. It looked like white gentrification. It looked like partner with the NFL. It looked like saying we passed kneeling. It looks like saying they invented words like capitalism to, to stop him. You might be wondering why I'm so always so hard on Jay. And it's simple. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. Too much is given, much is expected. There's an opportunity. And, and opposed to the good homie Ben Arnold. He talked about, well, if it's about community, well, why, why are people following or something to that effect? Because that's what people do. People follow. People have been following for the, since the beginning of time. And that's why it's important to recognize the power, the influence that you have. And use it for good. Use it on behalf of the people. But as I said in my in my in my question to the GOAT Bill Roten, you don't make a billion dollars by having the interest of black folk at the forefront. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. It's just a stark reality. But he must be held accountable. He must. We must be held accountable. We must be held to a higher standard. This leads me into where I currently stand on hip hop. And I'll be honest, I'm I'm honestly conflicted, which I think is reasonable given my level of awareness, level of consciousness given my recognition of how problematic some of the ideals that hip hop perpetuates is or are rather. So yes, I can recognize that that it celebrates and highlights black joy, brown joy which is black joy. I recognize how it just the, the origins was to highlight societal ills up until present day. It's cathartic for individuals. It is therapeutic. The art of storytelling. The art of taking what's what's impacting you with the external that's impacting you internally and figuring out a healthy way to let it out. I acknowledge that. But the evolution, or for, for some folk, the, the de-evolution of the mainstream musical aspect looks like a, a, a bastardization of what it once was. But I think this is what happens when when colonizers become a part of it. And more importantly, 
when divisiveness and fragmentation is rewarded. So if I can talk about killing another brother and it can bring me some monetary reward or it can bring me some reward, whether it's notoriety, whether it's fame, then why wouldn't somebody do it? The, just this idea of of being willing, and I'm talking about the mainstream aspect of it too, because we recognize that there is a, a mainstream component to hip hop music specifically. And one where it doesn't necessarily promote this, this divisiveness and, and overall community harm by way of addiction, by way of massage noir, by way of overt violence. We recognize it, that the mainstream has been supporting this. You get 5 million views when you're talking about smoking on your ops, as opposed to loving your fellow brother, loving your fellow sister, loving your fellow human. It's the rewards. When, and this is something I've been thinking about for a few years, when Geraldo talked about, and I want to get it right, he said hip hop has done more damage to black and brown people than racism. And we know from, from Damn, Kendrick played that clip on one of his songs. And I was like, ooh, you can't say that. So I dismissed him and not necessarily the sentiment. But the reality is the reality is the the damaging aspects of, of hip hop is the regurgitation of what? Of self hate, of capitalism, of massage noir, it's anti community, which is a direct result of internalized and, and, and externalized racism. White supremacy. It's the colonization of the mind that France Fanon talks about. And so, ah, hip hop has been has been doing the work of the oppressor, if we're going to be honest. Again, this mainstream component that I've identified specifically, where we talk about your futures. Well, we talk about, listen, your, your hopes. When we talk about drill music. And it's a dope book that I'm reading now, Ballad of the Bullet. Which lends some insight into to drill music, Chicago drill music specifically. So, yes, we can we can interrogate, we can critique these art forms for sure, while also recognizing the rewards that's coming from it and 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 why it, and how it impacts ideas like survival because that's uh, for a lot of it that is what the name of the game is it is survival so i don't implode so i don't explode but yeah it's a, it's a certain dissonance 
that must exist, that does exist for black folk who engage with this art form, the musical component specifically. Listen, Jeezy, I can, I can give you about 10 Jeezy songs verse for verse and recognize how cocaine and crack and heroin and opi other opioids and marijuana have neg negatively impacted community. But because the beat, which again goes back to is, is ancestral, we feel music differently. We always have, we always will. But to recognize that this music is problematic while also recognizing the feelings that come from it and the, dare I say, joyful experience that some folk have while listening to it. So it's, it's constantly, a, you're constantly at war. I think black folk who black and brown folk who listen to hip hop music, specifically the mainstream aspect, are constantly at psychological and emotional war. Recognizing the harm, hopefully recognizing the harm, but also recognizing the art, the history, the pain, the trauma. And the joy that comes from it. As I as I get ready to wrap up, I was sitting thinking about where do I see hip hop in 50 years? And I couldn't necessarily come up with a with, with such a specific answer. So these are just some of my thoughts. I think we'll continue to see hip hop influence under genre other genres where the lines are blurred. We'll see its infusion in other black musical art forms like the aforementioned country. Yes, that was us. Blues. Yes. Jazz. Yes. Pop. So it's all us, man. But I think the lines will become so blurred. Take Drake, for instance. Aubrey. Where... It's like, yeah, he's hip hop, but yeah, he's this, yeah, he's that, yeah, he's this. He's an artist. He's a musician. I think we'll see more of that where the lines are just blurred. I also think we'll see a union sooner, definitely sooner than later, to combat what's happening in streaming. Much like the, the writers and the actors have gone on strike because they're getting paychecks, residuals that are three cents, seven cents, two dollars, and it's constantly in rotation on your streaming platforms, I think we'll see hip hop come together. I think we'll see black folk come together for the greater good. And lastly, I think we'll see, and this is what I'm most encouraged about, I think we'll see a return to mainstream community consciousness due to the ever disintegrating political structure that exists. Like this institution is falling. It's falling. And I, I think hip hop musicians, hip hop artists specifically. Will have the their pulse, the pulse of what's taking place, a pulse of the people. 
we're going to take to the streets. Because when you think about it, when you think about the George Floyd protests, what was the hardest, the, the hardest um, anthem to come out of that time? It was Little Baby. Or is it Little Baby? Little Baby. You had the Childish Gambino record, This Is America, but it was really Lil Baby that had the most politically aware song that was mainstream during this period. Unlike in the late 80s with your public enemies, your Marvin Gaye's, damn near every musical act that existed during the, the 50s, 60s, 70s. It was all resistance music for the most part, even with Joy being the center of it. Because Joy is resistance also. But I think that will be the, the biggest change that we'll see. We'll see more politically conscious artists at the forefront. As I head over... To see what's taking place. Ain't much popping in the chat. I know this was pretty much impromptu. I have zero lost frames, which is always a beautiful thing. So we're going to get ready to end this lesson. I appreciate you for tuning in. Hit that subscribe button right there. It's like literally right where my finger is. If you're watching on, <laughs> on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. Until next time, peace.